If money affects your life in any way, Money Making Sense will talk about it. Be financially healthy, wealthy, and wise. Here's your host, Heather Kelly. Welcome to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're going to talk about college planning, especially A, during inflation, and B, what if you're a little bit late getting your funds together for your kid or yourself, for that matter? Joining me today is Brad Baldridge. He is the founder of TamingTheHighCostOfCollege.org. Welcome to the show, Brad. Hi. Thanks for having me. All right. So... First of all, I am hoping that if my child or someone else's child is starting this fall, they that the finances are already in order, or at least most of them. But what about if I haven't thought about it and my kids are starting maybe next year or the year after, and I haven't really planned much for how we're going to pay for college funds? What can we do? So I think the first thing people need to realize is there's usually not one one quick fix that's going to solve all the college problems. As much as we'd love to get that full ride scholarship to take care of it all, that's very rare. And most people pay for college with many different pieces. In other words, they might have some savings, they'll take some loans, grants, you know, different pieces, and then putting it all together is how they raise the funds to pay for college. It's a process that families need to get involved in and understand, you know, the, of the 10 or 12 different ways that where money can come from, which five or six or 10 are going to work for you. Are there other ways, I mean, aside from thinking about where the money is going to come from, are there ways to reduce how much money we would have to pay overall for college tuition? Oh, absolutely. So what people don't realize around college is there's kind of two prices out there. There's the published price for college, and there's the price that people actually pay. And it can be drastically different in some cases. Be, again, because of need-based aid and merit aid and all the different scholarships and that type of thing. So although the most expensive schools are in the 80000 per year range, you know, many people can attend those schools or other schools for substantially less. But now, again, most of the time, college is still going to be re- relatively painful. Um the colleges have been raising prices pretty, you know, pretty consistently over the last 20 years, and they've kind of hit the ceiling now. But again, the challenge is, you know, kind of working it all together and finding all the different um, sources of money and and stitching it together. So most families can improve their, their need-based aid. They can improve whether or not they'll qualify for merit. You can find schools where your net price is going to be less. Most people don't realize that not all schools offer the same types of scholarships. So if you know you've got a rock star student that's really good in math and sciences, some colleges will value that kid more than others. So if you find the right schools, they may offer more scholarships to that student than other schools. Um, so it's, again, the kind of that process of learning the system and then taking advantage of it. 
versus just kind of stumbling through it. Yeah, I was a beneficiary of something like that. Uh, this is, you know, many a year ago, but my, my degree is actually in aviation. And the school I went to had no women in the aviation course. So they pretty much gave me a full scholarship just so they could show they had a female in in the ranks of that particular program. So that worked out, you know, pretty well for me. Now, not that I would recommend that you just go into a field you don't like, simply because you get a free scholarship, because that could make you unhappy down the road. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's where families need to start a little bit earlier than they realize. Um, Ideally, sophomore and junior year and not late junior and senior year of high school, because it does take time to to visit schools and understand how the pricing is going to work. And, you know, there's quite a lot of sticker shock for many families you know, your local state school is going to be the cost to beat. And the average state school right now is about 27000 um, all in, which would be tuition, room and board, books, fees, beer and pizza, as I like to say. So <laughs> even, even some personal expenses and all that. And that's an official number that all the colleges publish. And, and again, that's average. Some states are more expensive than average, you know, Illinois and New Jersey and Certainly the UC schools in California are more than that. And then Iowa and Wyoming and some schools are quite a bit less than that. But so, for many families, you know, college is going to cost you fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand no matter what you do. But it also could be thirty or forty or fifty or sixty if you choose to go to a more expensive private, uh, especially a private that might not be willing to offer much for your particular student. Well, that raises a question about state schools, especially if I'm a resident of, I'm in Utah right now. So if I had wanted to go to University of Utah and their price was $20,000 because I'm a resident, but somebody moving from Utah here would pay that $27,000 sticker, that average. So why is there this pricing scale in colleges and universities? Oh, I mean, again, I think the it all started when we started offering things like financial aid many, many years ago where they, you know, the unintended consequences. We see, see the same thing in healthcare and other things where as we try and set up systems and so forth, it gets more complicated and the unintended consequences of financial aid are the multi-tier pricing where if your income is low and you need help, then your net cost is less because you get need-based aid or merit aid or whatever it might be. And so that's the big challenge. It's kind of like, you know, when you're on an airplane, the person sitting next to you probably didn't say pay the same price as what you paid for that airline ticket because airlines have very sophisticated pricing and they're trying to, you know, fill the plane but yet get as much as they possibly can. Colleges are doing the exact same thing. They want to fill the classes, but they want to do it and get the most possible tuition that they can. Are you better off waiting to the last possible moment to enroll to get a better price, or are you better off enrolling you know, as early as you possibly can? I don't know that that, that would have a huge impact. There's kind of a deadline of May 1st. Uh, it used to be a very hard deadline. Now it's they're softening it up a little bit because of some lawsuits with the government. 
But most colleges want you to make a decision whether you're coming or not May 1st. So that's the end of your senior year, essentially. Okay. That you commit to a school. So I recommend that you don't necessarily, you know, again, you have the opportunity, you know, you apply in the fall of your senior year, and then you start getting financial aid offers and details once you're accepted. And then through the spring, you have the opportunity to compare offers from different schools. And then what a lot of people don't realize is you can go back to schools potentially and see if they can provide a better deal. If you if you feel you made a mistake on your financial aid forms or something and something's not right, they might be able to correct for that type of thing as well. So there's a lot of opportunity to improve what you pay for college. So there's even at the 11th hour. But again, it works for some, but not everybody. Not everybody. So it sounds like there's a little bit of room for negotiation, possibly, if you didn't get as much grants or scholarships as you thought you might to help pay. But also, it sounds like it's not like a cruise ship, where if you're three days from sailing and the cruise ship isn't full yet, they'll knock the price off of cabins just so they'll fill up the ship. But that doesn't work that way in college, it sounds like. Well, it it could to some extent. The challenge is everybody wants to be on these certain cruise ships that quite literally are always going to be full, right? So Harvard is, doesn't have the situation where they're saying, well, geez, we've got open seats at the end. You know, the, the prestigious and the name brand and the high-end schools all fill their classes. And that's where most people are, are, you know, that's where the media focuses and that's what everybody's thinking about. I mean, the reality is there's many schools out there that will start class and still have room and continue to take students even after college has started. So that may work for some. But again, many schools, if you don't apply on time and as a senior, the odds of you actually going to that school are almost zero. So it depends on the school that you're looking at as far as... But you could, theoretically, even in May or June, after you've committed to one school, continue to look at other schools and see if you can get a better offer somewhere else. I've seen that be successful. We do need to take a break. When we come back, we'll dial it back a bit. We'll get back on track on how I can actually tame the cost of college. So we'll be right back with Brad Baldridge. He is the founder of TamingTheHighCostOfCollege.com. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that affects your life in any way, money-wise. We're talking about it today. We are talking about college costs, and we want to tame that high cost of college. So joining me is Brad Baldridge. He is the founder of TamingTheHighCostOfCollege.com. All right, Brad, I did take us off a little bit on a, on a side note. So why don't we go back and talk about how do I get financial aid? And does everybody qualify? Right. So there's two major categories when we talk about financial aid. There's merit aid, which is typically based on the student and how how they did academically or other reasons, you know, athletics, that type of thing. And then there's need-based aid, which is based on the family's need for additional help. And that, of course, is based on the income and assets of the parent and the student are their primary drivers. Now, we fill out financial aid forms in order to get that information to the school, and then they use formula, you know, the federal formulas and so forth to figure out how much aid we qualify for. Now, many families can adjust a little how they do things financially, and sometimes that can help them get more financial aid. So, again, as an example, your bank accounts would be held against you 
as far as financial aid is concerned. But if you have a credit card debt, they don't give you any credit for that. So it might make sense to take some of your savings and pay off your credit cards because you're going to report the savings, not the credit cards. And if your savings goes down by 10000 because you paid off your credit cards, you'll qualify for slightly more aid sometimes. Now, of course, there's some families where their income and their assets are high enough that they just aren't going to qualify no matter what they do. So it's important to understand whether you're going to qualify and then how to make things better. I've seen families earning, you know, 75000 a year, earning, you know, they're earning too much. They don't qualify for aid. But I've seen many families earning hundreds of thousands actually qualify for aid. So there's a lot of factors that go into it, including the price of the colleges you're looking at, the number of students you have in school at the same time. So it can get, you know, relatively complicated as well. My website, there's an EFC calculator where you can kind of plug in the numbers, figure out what your financial aid would look like. And then you can do a what if, or what if I change this instead of that? How would that change? So there's lots of ways that families can improve their situation. Um, I would say if you're getting up into those slightly higher incomes, like you said, 75000 or above potentially, and you're maybe five, six years away from a child going to college, maybe really encourage the kids to get the better grades or get into some sport that could potentially help them get into college. Right. Absolutely. Right. So that's another challenge where if you have a reasonably strong student, but they like they're looking at extremely competitive schools, well, then they might just barely be able to get accepted because some of the schools are extremely competitive. But that same student chooses to go to a lesser school. And again, it's it's not there's no ranking that I believe that's accurate. But sometimes if they're a stronger student at a particular school, that school may offer them scholarships. And then if they take another step to a less competitive school, one more step, they might get the full ride. Strong student has to make that decision of, do I want to go to the name brand school and pay a lot of money? Or do I want to go to a quote unquote lesser school where I get substantial scholarships? Right. I think many parents are also kind of pushing their kids and believing that there's a magic college out there that, you know, will change their kid's life. And I think there's many colleges that can do many things for people. And we need, we don't need to focus on those top 50 that everybody talks about. Right. I, I think that's an important point to make for parents is in the classroom, students are going to get the exact same education, whether they go to Harvard or Stanford, uh, that they're going to get in Portland University. It's the same curriculums for the most part. I mean, there's different courses, obviously, you can take, but most of them will use the same similar books to teach those classes. So it's all about if education is first and foremost, but you're short on money to pay for it, look at some of those lesser colleges. And if your child is good in sports, they might actually make it onto a team and you don't and get a scholarship that way as well. Absolutely. Right. So there's many different avenues. I mean, sports would be one, but, you know, certainly there's now esports that's becoming popular at many colleges where used to be just the true athletes. Now it's also the gamers that can compete at a college level. What? And... What? Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. They give scholarships for gaming? For online gaming? Yes. I mean, college <laughs> is not right. Not only do colleges now have a football team, but they also have a Fortnite team or a Rocket League team or various different competitive games where 
schools now are offering scholarships in order to fill up those teams. And that's the reality at many colleges is that when we start talking about merit aid, yes, it, it's certainly your strong grades, but it also could be that you happen to play the tuba and all the tuba players are graduating. So the band director and the symphony and the marching band are all in their recruiting office saying, find some tuba players and get them to come because we need them. Or again, we need, we've got some slots on our e, our gaming team that we need help with, or our history majors are running a little light this year and we want to, you know, both bolster that program. So give a little extra scholarship to history majors. You know, some of it, it's obvious, you know, my grades are stronger than his grades and therefore I got a bigger scholarship. And sometimes it's a little less obvious. And that's why we, it's recommended that families apply to many schools. And I also encourage families to apply to multiple similar schools. You know, if you're looking at a medium-sized private school, maybe apply to two or three medium-sized private schools that are similar as far as the types of students they accept so that you can kind of double check and get a, get the fair price. Cause you can get two or three offers from similar schools. If the school that you like the most is substantially more expensive. Now you've got a reason to negotiate, right? Well, it's like right. two of your competitors are much less than you are. I like your school, but I really would don't want to pay 10,000 more just because I like you. I can go to your competitors. That's the kind of thing that gets the college's attention. Okay. Um, whereas, you know, I just, can you do better? It's like, we could maybe, but again, you need to have some reasoning and, and understanding of how things work. So on the merit, you know, there's the need-based aid and then they're just overall efficiency, you know, making sure you save and invest where you can and take the right types of loans. You know, there's the student loan industry is, that's kind of a bad rap right now where they're talking about forgiving loans and all that kind of stuff. For many families, student loans are just another tool in the toolbox where, Hopefully you're not borrowing hundreds of thousands of dollars to make school happen, but you might need an extra 10 or 20 or $50,000 for it all to come together. And for some families that makes sense, whether it's just to get into a school. In other words, you know, for some families, even the low cost state school, they're going to need to take some loans to make it happen. And it's for the right students, for sure. It's well worth it, right? If you're going to go off and get a reasonable career, the fact that you have to pay some student loans is not that big a deal. Right. If you don't want to take out loans, you're trying to reduce how much of a loan you have to take out. When would you recommend people start saving up money for a college fund so that they can pay for as much as they possibly can without the loan? Right. Well, obviously you can start saving now, whatever that means, right? If you have a two-year-old, you could be saving. You have a 10 or 20, you know, and again, it's never too early and it's never too late. When I'm putting plans together for families, what I find is often we're working with parents of high school kids and we do the math and all of a sudden we say, well, we need to save an extra 1200 a month in order to make these college plans come together. And sometimes they say, oh, that's great. Then we'll save 1200 a month. And they find the money, you know, they change how they finance their cars, they do different things and they come up with the money. Other families are like, well, I don't think we can squeeze that out of our budget. So then we might say, okay, well, maybe we can only do 600 a month and we'll have to take a few loans to cover, you know, the money that we're missing. And then we can pay them back after college is done. Or the student can pay them back. Just depends on, you know, many parents feel like college is entirely their responsibility. A few parents out there are still on the other side of that, which is they are not responsible at all. 
And most families are somewhere in between of, you know, we'd like to help. We can't completely destroy our finances to make college happen, but we'll help. And hopefully the student can work and borrow some money and make it all come together. Is there anything else? I'm Well, there's lots. College and saving, saving money for college or trying to fund it. There's just so many things to go down. But is there any other important items that maybe we haven't talked about or thought about that somebody really needs to know? Yeah, I think really it is just getting involved in understanding. You know, many parents went to college themselves, although many parents didn't. But even if you did go to college, the way it worked, you know, when you and I went to college 30 years ago or whatever, um, the typical parent of a college student, the rules have changed pretty dramatically. You know, I was able to work summers and take a little bit of a loan and make college happen. Most students today can't do it on their own. They're going to need mom and dad to either help pay or at least co-sign loans or somehow be involved. But if you do things well, oftentimes it could make a pretty big difference as far as what the overall impact is. You know, it's still going to hurt, but it'll hurt a little less if you can plan it well. And then, you know, again, then some families are like, well, we'd like to stretch and go to that more expensive school. Can we make it happen? Sometimes that works out where, you know, if we give up our more expensive vacations or we stop buying so many cars, can we get to Harvard? And for many families, the answer is yes. But you just need to kind of rebuild your finances and build a plan around how to make that happen. So if anybody wants to talk to you about that or, or make plans, do you are you accepting clients from everywhere or do you just recommend going to your website, which is, again, tamingthehighcostofcollege.com? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, I, yeah, I, I help families one-on-one that need help with college. And I also have a podcast and a course and a lot of free resources, the scholarship guide for busy parents, a number of different resources that can help families because I think that's the... I recommend people just, you know, plug into the podcast and learn a little bit that way because it's going to be a learning curve. You know, most families are going to spend many, many hours visiting schools and understanding how financial aid works and trying to figure out what the student majors should be and all the stuff that goes into college planning. And you need to start sooner than you realize. You know, I've never, ever had anyone tell me I started this too early, but I've had a lot of people say we started this too late. So if you've got Kids in high school, you need to start working on it as soon as you can. And again, the resources at my website, and you can reach me directly through the website. Send me send me an email or give us a call or whatever you want to do. All right, great. Thank you so much. Again, you are Brad Baldrige. You are the founder of TamingTheHighCostOfCollege.com. And then you also have a podcast. That's by the same name, correct? Your podcast? Correct. Okay, so we can tune into those areas and get more information as needed. That's cool. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can email me with any questions or topics you want to hear about at hkelly at ksl.com. That's h-k-e-l-l-y at ksl.com. And because this is Money Making Sense, you can subscribe for free on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts, and you'll never miss another episode. Thanks for being a Money Making Sense listener. Follow your common sense on the social media, Money Making Sense, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.